You're listening to another podcast from com. My name is Tom Johnson, and today I'm talking with Michael Stowe, who is the author of Undisturbed Rest, Guide to Designing the Perfect API. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your book? Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me on your podcast here. Um, I was an engineer for about 10 years, and actually the reason I wrote the book was a little bit selfish. I kept using APIs that were very difficult for me to use. And I found that there's a whole bunch of different conventions up there. So Undisturbed Rest is really a book about, let's go back to the basics. What is Rest? What is this you know, design theory, uh, this architecture? How do we make it work? And then what are the best practices with it? Uh, really, again, so that you know, when I have to use APIs, uh, they work and they're easy to use and they follow standards. And I'm not pulling out my hair because I can't afford to lose anymore. Now, you work for MuleSoft, right? And, and a lot of the book focuses on RAML. Most of my listeners won't be too familiar with RAML and Swagger specifications. Can you give a brief kind of intro to what are these REST API specifications and how they, how did they come about? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the first uh, specification they came out was Swagger. And this was created by Tony Tam uh, about five years ago. And it was for his company, WordNick. And what was happening at the time was we had these APIs that were coming out but there was really no support for documentation, uh, client generation, server generation, code generation. And so you would create the API, you'd write the code, and then you'd have to do all these additional services on top of it. And so uh, WordNick wanted to create this quick way to you know, make it super easy to document their API and create some SDKs and stuff. And so they uh, created Swagger. Uh, but a couple of years ago, there was a new spec that came out uh, called RAML, and RAML stands for the RESTful API Modeling Language. Uh, and it took the idea that Swagger had, which was once you have the API, you can document it, a step further and saying, what if you could actually design your API before you built it? What if you could see what your API looked like before you built it? What if you could prototype it and uh, collaborate with your users to make sure it meets their needs, again, before you spend the time on the code, and then get all that goodness of, okay, now we can document it, now we can create SDKs, now we can uh, generate code, uh, and better yet, now we can offer support for it. So uh, both specs have really evolved into that space um, where they're able, enabling people to design their API uh, before writing code, before spending a substantial investment in those aspects to make sure they get the design right so that they can have a long-lived API. You know, I as I was reading your book, I found that point about using the spec as a way to design the API really interesting. Uh, because as a technical writer, my my job is to really provide documentation for APIs and other developer tools in my company. And we have an API that's it's a 1.0 product, and it's mm-hmm. gone it's undergone quite a bit of revision from uh, 1.0 to 1.1 to 1.2. I think about half of the API endpoints change each time, which creates a huge uh, a huge amount of revision for the documentation. So I started to wonder, how is it that you can use RAML or, or other modeling languages uh, to prototype first? I mean, obviously the prototype can give you a, a sort of sample of the shape, but can you actually execute requests or, or do other kind of uh, mock calls with this? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, kind of a loaded question on several fronts. Um, Dr. Roy Fielding, who created the theory of rest in his dissertation, uh, came out and said, you know, people are usually really good at short-term design. 
but usually off a long-term design because we tend to design for the current release. And that's one of the challenges we have with APIs is we're writing code, we're trying to design this, and we're thinking about what we need right now, not what we may need next month, not what we need a year from now, and definitely not what we need five years from now. And so what these tools allow you to do is several different things. By designing your API first with a spec, you can visually see what the API looks like. Uh, this is important because a lot of times we say we want this API, we write the code, we throw it out there, and it's not really what we envisioned. But it's too late. It's in production. And now we're stuck with it. Uh, the other aspect with Ramble is it offers uh, code reuse and design patterns. So you can actually make sure that all your endpoints or all your resources are consistent. All your methods are consistent. So throughout the entire API, it operates uh, very similarly. But once you create the design, you can then, uh, using a mocking service, which is basically it takes the RAML file, creates a mock of your API using the example data or the schemas, uh, and lets users interact with your API as if they were using a real API. And what this means is that your users, the people who actually be relying on your API, can look at it and say, hey, this is great, but this doesn't meet my needs. Or this is great, but this is inconsistent. Or you did this here and here, and it doesn't make sense. So they can find the design flaws for you, and all of a sudden we're uh, bringing uh, agile user testing or agile user experience into the API design process to make sure that your users get exactly what they're looking for. Um, so that's one of the big benefits it offers from from that aspect. So just to be clear, on the mocking service, uh, it doesn't does it actually return the values that are unique to maybe that user's data, or is it just returning sample prepackaged kind of pre-canned values for that endpoint? responses for that endpoint. Yeah, so so in this case, it's just returning back the example data you give okay. it. So, I mean, it's not a real API. Uh, you haven't built anything yet. Uh, you've literally, with RAML, ran a few lines in just plain text format saying, this is a resource, this is the example response, uh, maybe you have a JSON response or an XML response or both, and you just put that in there. And then what it does is it creates a service that operates off of the spec and it returns again the example data. So if I call that API... I'm not getting the real data, but I'm getting data as if I was actually calling your API and I'm interacting with the mock service as if I was actually interacting with your real API. Yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me, and that's how I thought it was, but I just wanted to make sure. Uh, you know, the point about consistency, I think, is huge. Um, as, as technical writers, if we're going through and documenting all the parameters of different endpoints, consistency jumps out at us uh, in this most recent... Uh, set of endpoints I was documenting. Some of the some of the parameters were in uppercase, others were in camel case, others were lowercase. Some of the endpoints submitted uh, all the parameters in the URL, others submitted them in in the request body. And uh, so I'm asking these questions. And some had parameters that others didn't uh, mm -hmm. that that should have. You know, it was there was a lot of inconsistency. And I started to wonder, well, why 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 does it why does this happen? And, and uh, tech writers are kind of often lower down in the food chain, so things have already been coded. It's not like you can go and, and, and say, hey, fix all this, and people are going to have to stop the sprint and change direction. You know, So it's, it's a major undertaking. And it would be ideal to prevent all of this in the first place by designing a, a more thought-out API. Is that essentially what these specs are going to allow you to do? Absolutely. In fact, you know, it's funny you talk about the query parameters uh, or the properties having different values or different uh, casing. I actually uh, came across an API where they had two resources that did exactly the same thing, uh, just with different names. Um, you know, and, and what happens with this uh, from the coding perspective is 
we get this idea of what we want to build, and they say, okay, go build it. And there's really no uh, blueprint for what they're trying to build. So developers start putting the code, and they start guessing and making their best. They write it. But like you said, you get these inconsistencies where you have case sensitivity changes, you have value type changes, you have uh, resource name changes, all because they don't know what the other people are doing. Um, and, and what the spec does is it gives you, again, with RAML, you have something called resource types and traits. And that means that for resource type, you can set up all your uh, standard responses so that every single uh, resource behaves identically with just you know the day you want and the responses you want. Uh, and the methods you want. And within the methods, if you have pagination or you have filtering or you have searching, you can actually create a trait so that the behavior for all those different methods is exactly the same for those functions. Um, and what makes this really nice is once you have the spec, because you, you asked about you know things changing down the road because this is why this happens, is it's not the first iteration, but it's the second, third, fourth, fifth iteration where people just start uh, going off the path. Because you have the spec, you know exactly what the contract you have with the user is. Uh, for developers, it's very easy to jump in the code and just change code. Uh, and once you change the code, you can introduce backwards incompatibilities. Uh, you can break other features without realizing it. But the spec is still there. It says, no, you have to test this. You have to make sure it stays consistent, that you honor the contract. And as such, you know you're not breaking backwards compatibility. And you're also able to, again, test at each iteration, say, is this going to last in the long term? Is this going to allow me flexibility in the long term? Or you know, am I, am I doing something that's probably not as smart? So, so the spec is actually a blueprint, a design, kind of almost like a requirements for the developers to look at to to get all all their thinking uh, about endpoints and parameters down uh, in this model. It's like a prototype. Mm-hmm. And then, well, well, hold on. Let me follow that up with one question. What is the general workflow between building the specification, and then laying in the annotations in the code. So myself, I've handled something that I call spec-driven development. And spec-driven development essentially says that the uh, spec is the uh, source of truth. Um, one of the dangers with annotations in code is if you put your source of truth in the code, code changes. Uh, and it can change without anybody knowing that it's going to change. It's as simple as me going in and updating something in the code or changing an annotation or if you're using comments, changing a comment. Um, so you get a lot of things where you may not necessarily get the best interest of the user or the ability to test what you're actually doing. So with Spectrum Development, what we recommend is actually that you build the API in two parts. The first is you do an agile user experience-based uh, development of the spec. We work with your users, you design the spec, you test the spec, make sure the spec meets their needs. And really what you're trying to do is find out and make sure that there's no design flaws, there's no bugs with it. Uh, and the way it works is you create the spec, uh, you prototype it, you share with your users, you get feedback, and then based on that feedback, you can say, the spec is ready for prime time and ready for start coding, or no, the spec isn't ready. Um, again, once you put annotations in code, once you start putting the power to control the contract in the code, you're really offering a lot of flexibility to deviate from that contract. Uh, and you almost create two different contracts where do you honor the annotations in the code or do you honor the spec? Hmm. Um, so I, I think that's, there's a danger with that. So what we recommend is doing a spectrum development where you first do the agile uh, design, and then you do the agile cycles of development. Where you say, okay, we have this design. We know we can build this design. We can develop it fearlessly. Your developers don't have to guess what the uh, response should look like or what the property name should be or what case sensitivity it should be. They can just write the code uh, and, and do so efficiently. 
and, and people always ask, well, what happens if you find a flaw with the design at this stage or find something that's not doable at this stage? It's very simple. You go back to the spec, you change in the spec, you test the spec, you validate that change, then you jump right back in the code. Uh, so you're not losing any time, but more importantly, you're getting a tested spec that you know will uh, stand the test of time, which means your API will stand the test of time. Now, you mentioned uh, having a single source of truth, and this, this spec being this contract, this, this source of truth about what, what developers are building. How does that fit in with, with the, the user guides and other documentation that tech writers have to create? Because technical writers usually have a list of endpoint descriptions, uh, descriptions of the parameters and all this in their whatever um, help system they're, they're creating, and now they have this other place where the spec file where these endpoints and parameters are also defined. Um, is there a redundancy or does do you, do you include one in the other? How do you manage having different sources that all kind of have the same content? Well, first of all, I, I feel bad for tech writers uh, as a developer because... You know, things are changing so quickly, and it's so easy for things to get out of sync. Um, you know, and, and uh, in one of the presentations I did, I, I mentioned that the quick death of an API is out of sync documentation. And, uh, you know, I, I wish I, this wasn't the case, but sometimes as developers, we aren't always the most transparent about the changes we've made, or sometimes we make a change and we forget about it, and we don't relay that to the technical team. Um, thankfully, you guys often you do the testing and find that for us and still write amazing uh, documentation. What the spec does, though, is, again, it has a single source of truth where all the documentation that the technical teams and technical writers need to generate, they can get from the spec. Even more so, they can actually generate a majority of the documentation and tooling from the spec itself. So rather than have to create this redundant pattern of saying, we have this information here and this information here, you can actually use the spec as a single source uh, of truth, but also a single source of collaboration. Uh, and that's one of the great things about Rambles. It doesn't matter uh, if you're a developer, uh, if you're a technical writer, or if you're in marketing, you can actually go in because it's a plain text format and you can put in the documentation or put in the descriptions uh, to make sure that it meets your needs uh, and that allows you to have a single source of truth and also collaborate so that the technical writers are tied much more closely to the developers and the developers are tied much more closely to the technical writers. And the descriptions that are in the spec about the endpoints and the parameters, are they intended to be brief uh, and, and quick definitions, and then maybe if there's some lengthy notes and other conceptual details or gotchas or special quirks, do those other special bits of info go elsewhere? Well, so every spec is different, and the nice thing about the spec is it can be interpreted differently by uh, certain people depending on how you put in your descriptions. Uh, for RAML, what we recommend is using Markdown. Uh, and with that, you can actually put a lot of information in the fields that are available within the API. So you can describe the API in regards to query parameters, form parameters, post data, uh, types of responses you get back, response bodies, response headers, uh, to describe the functionality of the API. In regards to documentation, you have the description properties where you can put, again, markdown in to say this is what the description is. But RAML is also unique in that it has a documentation property. So you can actually put documentation uh, under the documentation property in an array for the different pages and then set up so it calls in that documentation. So you can pull much more extensive documentation or set up documentation for here's how you, you know, set up an account or here's how you use OAuth or here's how you know, our hypermedia works 
So you're able to pull in the full documentation into a single source of truth again and have it all connected without having people going to different places. Can, can you explain more about this documentation property? Is it like some kind of include that points to some other file? I'm a little fuzzy. No, absolutely. So Ramble does certainly let you do include. So if you want to do it as include and point to another file, you can. Uh, but essentially what it is is you would say documentation, and then in the YAML format you'd create uh, an array, and maybe the documentation is OAuth. And then you would just put your markdown uh, or whatever text format you're using in that area. So you could put all your documentation in that RAML file. Now, if you're looking to say, look, this RAML file is becoming huge. This, you know, There's too much data. You can certainly use include and store that in a separate file and then pull it in. But essentially, the documentation becomes part of the RAML file itself. Okay. All right. Now, um, it seems to me that the two main specification competitors out there are RAML and Swagger. I know there's API Blueprint, which is... Uh, you know another specification, but it doesn't seem like it's 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 got the momentum that these other two do. You mentioned that Raml has um, some some properties about it that enforce more consistency: the resource types and traits. Uh, how does one decide on whether to use Raml or Swagger? Um, so first of all, uh, Raml, Swagger, and even API Blueprint—they're all great specs. Um, you know, and Jacob who is behind API Blueprint, uh, is very knowledgeable in the API field and, and does a great job. Uh, so I just want to give him a shout-out. Um, the biggest difference between RAML, uh, Swagger, and API Blueprint is API Blueprint is more focused on purely documentation. So it doesn't encompass the full API lifecycle as much, uh, whereas Swagger's moved that direction, and RAML has always started with the full API lifecycle. But it's like choosing any type of tool. You need to choose the tool that meets your needs. Um, myself, I'm a fan of RAML. The reason I'm a fan of RAML is, uh, first of all, the code reuse uh, and the ability to design and, and have very succinct code that I know is going to be consistent throughout the entire API. Uh, I like the documentation properties, being able to pull in documentation instead of having my documentation in a separate area. Um, those are two big things for me uh, with RAML. But, you know, there, there are always going to be trade-offs. Um, and so you have to look at what you need. And what I recommend, uh, and this is a horrible shameless plug, but if you go to mikesto.com, there's actually an API spec comparison tool where you can compare RAML to Swagger, to API Blueprint, to IODocs, to MashShape, even to Waddle to see what the strengths and weaknesses of each one are. Um, again, with RAML, I think you're going to have a, a more succinct uh, spec. Also, RAML uh, 1 is right around the corner, which is going to offer some even uh, more powerful tooling uh, and modeling for developers. Uh, RAML was designed to encompass the full API lifecycle from the start, which I think is huge. Uh, Swagger's doing a great job at getting there, uh, but that was Raml's you know, native support was the full API lifecycle. With that said, if you're looking uh, for the most frameworks to generate things from, uh, Raml's growing in the community, but Swagger's been around for the last five years. You're going to find more with uh, a Swagger. If you're looking for a larger community, Swagger does have a larger community. Um, but then if you're saying, well, we want somebody who is backed by you know, the most... Um, Industries uh, like working group wise, then you have RAM, which is backed by MuleSoft, Akana Software, Cisco, uh, and several others. Although uh, SmartBear just acquired uh, Swagger, has been pushing that forward as well. Now, you're saying that that Ramel addresses the whole life cycle more thoroughly. What do you mean by that? How does it address the whole life cycle? Well, so again, Ramel is designed so that no matter where you're at in the API life cycle, whether you're building an API from scratch. Or whether you have a pre-built API and you just need to document and generate SDKs, uh, it can meet those demands. Swagger was initially built for once you have the API, then we'll start doing these things. 
Uh, with Swagger 2, they started moving more and more towards API-first design. But Swagger's not really taking as strong of a stance of saying, hey, look, we're going to you know, tackle all of this. Uh, they do have the tooling now where they just released uh, their API designer and their uh, API mocking service powered by Apogee, and uh, they just re- uh, launched Swagger Hub. Uh, so they're now making some of this functionality available. Uh, but again, Ramble was kind of the leader in, in that space of saying, look, you should actually design your API if you can, because uh, you'll get much more benefits from that. But we'll meet you wherever you're at in the API lifecycle. Um, it, you know, I, I played around with both the Ramble's uh, API console and, mm-hmm. and Swagger UI, and mm-hmm. I like both of them. I, I actually like the API console from Ramel quite a bit because it, it's, uh, its branding isn't so... Um, uh, what's the word? It doesn't look like every other Swagger sort of implementation. But then again, I mean, it, it's kind of a minor difference. Uh, but... Um, so I was playing around with the Swagger one this morning, uh, trying to get it to work, and I ran into a problem. And I'm wondering if this is the the problem that that you that I'll find in any spec. But uh, there was my request was blocked by cores, the cross origin resource sharing limitation, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's because my my the API I'm documenting is intended for server to server communication. Uh, you can create curl requests, and it's fine, or use Postman, it's fine. But if you try to make a request from a web page, uh, you're getting blocked. Is that the case with every one of these um, kind of like interactive outputs? Yeah, I mean, any tool that is based on JavaScript that uh, uses uh, cores to make the call, you're going to run into a cores issue unless cores is enabled with the API. Um, you know, if you're using, like, the mocking service, things like that, that's enabled, but... Uh, unfortunately, it's just a thing to run in with JavaScript, uh, in which case you'd need to use a server-side aspect. Hmm. All right. So in five years from now, uh, do you think do you think that people will have settled on one spec, or will there always be competing specs? This is one of my favorite questions, because uh, people, uh, they like to create this this battle between the specs. You know, is Ramel going to win, or is Swagger going to win? Uh, and, and I'm a fan of both specs. You know, again, personally, I prefer Raml. I think it offers a little bit more versatility. Um, but honestly, in five years, my guess is there'll be a brand new spec altogether. Um, you know, what we saw was we saw uh, Swagger come out, and Swagger was a very good spec. And then we saw Raml 0.8 come out. And, and I think uh, it really raised the bar and challenged the idea of how we do API design and, and what the capabilities of an API spec is. And Swagger 2, we saw... You know, very much move in that direction and add a little bit more functionality. Uh, you know, and with Ramble One, we're going to see it, you know it completely. I think uh, reinvent the API spec just uh, and its capabilities again. So I think what we'll see is we'll see this continuous competition between the two specs driving each other forward. Uh, and then I think you know as this happens, you know especially in the internet age, somebody's going to say, "Hey, these are good ideas. What if we did this on top of that and create a new spec?" And I think everybody will be like, "Wow, this is amazing." Uh, so my guess is in five years there'll be a brand new spec that's winning. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's impossible to really predict uh, what's going to happen in five years. The rate of change. Well, now let me let me step back a little bit um, because my audience is they're almost all technical writers, and mm-hmm. this is entirely new. Um, most mostly the people producing these specs are are developers uh, who are also doing documentation or or working. With, docu- uh, with documentation in some way. Um, if you were to ask the average technical writer, writer what Ramel or Swagger is, um, it's new. 
So how should technical writers kind of work with developers in producing the code annotations or the spec file? I mean, what's the general workflow for, for plugging into that? Well, I think the whole idea of Spectrum development is actually new for a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of companies that have not heard of Swagger or Raml, uh, even on the developer side. And the thing I recommend for design API is involve your customers, involve the people closest to your customers or the API users, people who with most knowledge of what you need to do. And oftentimes, the people most knowledgeable about your platform are your developers who they know the inner workings. But the people most knowledgeable about your customers tend to be your technical writers uh, or your evangelists or your uh, product marketing teams or even sales uh, who can say, look, this is what our customers are asking for. So what I encourage with the API design is actually a collaboration of, you know, you bring in your developers to say, look, we know the backend architecture very well, but they need to work with the customers or people who are working with the customers to say, does this meet our customers' needs? Uh, because it doesn't matter how well the API is designed uh, or how well it's coded if it doesn't meet their needs. You know, it's not going to do any good. Uh, so I recommend right off the bat keeping everybody involved and saying, you know, let's create a solution that works for everybody and works for our customers. Um, when it comes to designing the API, you want people who are strong with REST design theory to, you know, kind of design it. Uh, and thankfully, Raml and the uh, API designer walk you through that and give you the best practices uh, through tool tips and hints. Uh, then it comes with the descriptions. Once you've created the overall design, how do you describe the API in a way that makes sense? And I found there are two types of developers. There are developers who are absolutely great at writing documentation. They just get it. And there are developers who, they, they for whatever reason, they're not able to convey the documentation uh, in a sense that uh, somebody who, who's extremely experienced will understand and someone who's brand new to the API will understand because I think it's very hard to write it in that manner. And that's where, I mean, the technical writers, you guys have so much more experience in this where you can write the descriptions and, and write the documentation working with the developers to make sure you know, everything is collaborative, but write it so that people will understand, and then taking advantage of the additional features and tooling that RAML offers. Um, it's one thing, you know, as a technical writer to say, here's how you describe this, or here's a documentation, but imagine being able to provide interactive walkthrough examples where you say, here's how you make calls and do this, and by the way, here are the steps, and you can actually click a play button and go call by call by call and see how it works or even manipulate using JavaScript to try making your own call with that. Um, and that's what RAML gives you, is it gives you this whole tooling where not only do you just have the flat documentation, which is absolutely vital. I mean, there's nothing that can replace good documentation, but it gives you interactive tooling that complements the documentation. And I really see it as a way to empower your technical writers to be able to provide uh, even more tooling uh, and even stronger documentation to the users. Yeah, I, I know that, that providing interactive documentation experiences where people can try things out is, is huge in terms of helping people learn something. And I also agree that, that these interactive documentation consoles are, are visual. They, they show the shape of the API, the shape of the request, the responses. It's not just chunks of text. Um, but here's my question. Um, how... How much better is it to have an interactive documentation experience versus just having a list of the endpoints parameters and then telling people to plug it into their own GUI client like Postman or PA or something? I mean, is it do you really get 
that much more out of it by by merging your API console directly into your documentation than than you would if you just kept them separate? Um, so I can only speak for, for myself on this one. Um, I, I can tell you that when there's interactive documentation or a console that I can use, it makes implementing the API so much easier because you run a challenge as a developer where uh, maybe you integrate with the API, but something's just not working right. If I pull up the API console, I can see exactly which fields I need to fill out. I can try the call on there, and I can see exactly what went wrong or what worked. You know, What am I doing wrong in this case? Whereas with Postman, I still have to fill out the fields myself, although if your API is described in RAML, I can pull in the RAML file and actually help me with that. Um, the other aspect, too, is with the API notebook, you're actually able to walk me through step-by-step step how to do this. So if you go to apinotebook.com uh, and look at, for example, the Twitter example, it says, here's how you find out who your last follower is from the Twitter API. And it walks you through step-by-step step from, you know, you call the API to here's your OAuth to here you're getting response to the latest followers to here's how you get that last follower's information from the content that they return. So what you're doing is uh, you're providing another form of learning. Uh, and we have to remember that people learn different ways. I mean, you have your audio learners, your visual learners, but also your tactile learners, and most developers learn by doing. And what I tell people is if they come to your site and they can't figure out how to use your API, they're going to go find out how to use your competitor's API. Uh, whereas if you give a good documentation that's very helpful, uh, it makes a lot of sense. But for people who are brand new to your API, a lot of times when they first start trying out, they'll try making calls through the interactive console uh, or through the notebook first just so they understand what they're doing. Uh, and it also lets them try these things out. Uh, and also, a lot of tools like Postman are absolutely fantastic. I love Postman. There's a lot of developers that don't use these tools and aren't that familiar with APIs in the first place. So, again, you're creating an easy onboarding process for them and greatly reducing the learning curve while helping them understand how your API functions. You mentioned that you can actually pull RAML into Postman. That's mm -hmm. a feature I haven't explored yet. How do you, how exactly do you do that? Where where do you do the import? So let me see here. I got Paul Postman to make a number. <laughs> That's all right. You, don't, on, you don't have to be that specific. But but is it a is it an extra plugin that I have to install, or is it somewhere on the import uh, pane that I just haven't really explored? Is it like is it built into Postman and I just haven't found it yet? Yeah. So if you uh, click on the import function on Postman, uh, you'll see that you have three options. You have upload files, paste raw text, or download from link. Uh, and uh, the three specs that Postman supports would be RAML, Waddle, and Swagger. Ah. Uh, so you can just literally paste in the link of your RAML file, and it will automatically import the API and all the uh, the methods and the resources. Ah, okay, I'll have to try that. That's that's pretty awesome. So you know, I, as a technical writer, I'm sold on this whole idea of the specification, and it's something I've been um, really trying to to get going. Uh, so I'm excited about it. I think this this opens up a lot of possibilities for technical writers. We're trying to provide value in organizations and especially in developer doc environments where uh, a lot of times the, the content is so technical. Um, technical writers want to provide more than just, hey, I'll edit and publish this for you. We want to provide, you know, uh, we want to create interactive experiences that maybe developers would be unfamiliar with. So this is a huge point that, or, or a huge sort of technology that tech writers could learn and provide tremendous value. Uh, but but how is it, if you work in a developer environment and they're not using a specification, how do you persuade them as just the, the 
little uh, lowest person on the totem pole tech writer that they should have their whole process built around um, a specification, the design process, the prototyping, testing. Um, how do you how do you move this mountain and change the whole way that they work? This is actually a, a tough discussion uh, some of the times because we get set in our ways and we don't want to change things. Um, but I think the easiest way is to provide the benefits that Stack Like Ramel offers. And that is, like you said, the design phase. Um, you know, when you talk about the business use case, how much time is spent on fixing design bugs or trying to work around bugs in the API or worrying about is the API going to be extensible? How much time is spent with developers going back and forth saying, what's this response supposed to be like, like, or trying to dig through the rest of the API to understand it? Um, and then how much time gets spent with things like uh, writing unit tests uh, or creating SDKs or code libraries? Um, you know, there's all these different things that start to add up that, that Ramble lets you do very quickly and easily. So I, I think it's a matter of stepping back and saying, look, we can do it the old way, and these are the things we run into. But every developer knows that the pains of a, of a bad API. Uh, and, you know, I usually pick on a, a big, giant social media uh, websites API, uh, who I don't want to say because, you know, they're awesome people. I don't want to pick on them, but their name starts with a face and ends with a book. <laughs> Um, and they change their API literally like every other week, it seems. Well, the problem with that is there's these inconsistencies that break backwards compatibility, and developers are absolutely just up in arms about it. But, I mean, it's Facebook. You, you can't say no. You, you have to use their API. For other companies, that's not the case. And when you break backwards compatibility, you have support issues, uh, you have maintenance issues, you have to upgrade people, you have to version. Uh, Ramble's really designed to eliminate a lot of the uh, inefficiencies of the API design process. And so I think it's a matter of just looking at what can we gain from it. You know, can we design more quickly? Can we code more quickly? Can we design more efficiently? Can we make sure we're meeting our customers' needs? Uh, can we generate uh, content more quickly and, and let our technical writers do what they excel at doing to provide even more uh, uh, and greater experiences? You know, on the, on the technical documentation side, one of the best technical documents I've ever seen is Spotify, uh, which, as I understand, is actually based on Raml. Uh, they use uh, that spec to generate their documentation and the uh, live triads. Uh, the SDK generation, you can hire developers uh, or ask your developers to write SDKs or code libraries in 15 different languages, or you can use a service like Automatic.io and generate them on the fly from the spec. Um, testing, again, you can spend hours and hours running unit tests, or you can quickly create the test with literally a quick shell command that generates it from the spec, and then also open up a world of possibility of services such as uh, API Science or API Fortress or Smart Bear. Um, you know, and the list goes on and on. And then even on top of that, it's the whole open source community you get where not only do you know you're building your API in a way that is solid and long-lived and can be flexible and extensible, but you've now gained access to uh, hundreds if not thousands of open source tools that you can implement to make your services even better and make the onboarding process even easier for developers. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Actually, you know, the, the whole client SDK um, generation from a lot of these these specs is a huge selling point for some of our architects and it's it's what's got it is what got their interest in the uh, in using some of these um, I just have one last kind of question because um, I, I don't want to take all your time here but uh, <clears throat> you know agile methodology is a celebrated approach to doing software development where you code a piece uh, in a few weeks and you push it out and you get feedback and that informs your next iteration and so forth. It seems like that approach 
uh, doesn't really work with APIs as well because if you if you push something out there and you get feedback that they don't like it, then you have to somehow support the different version or support backwards compatibility when you change that endpoint. Do you think that agile methodology um, doesn't really fit well with API doc or or does it? So I, I think agile actually fits really well with with API documentation, API creation. But I think we have to use uh, Agile responsibly, and we have to understand the differences between the two. Um, you know, one of my favorite things is people would say, we got rid of waterfall methodology, moved to Agile. We don't have to document anything. No, actually, you have more documentation with Agile because you have all the user stories and all things that you're, you're working on. Uh, the other thing we lost with Agile at a lot of teams is responsibility. Again, the contract. And this is part of this uh, the movement to SaaS services where we're saying, look, we can throw it out there. We can learn from it, and we can change it. But as you said, the problem with APIs is once you throw it out there, it's out there. It's stuck. It's in production. Uh, and so you have to treat your API as a contract. Uh, and we lose sight that when you build an API, you're making a contract. And developers don't just use your API because it's fun. They're basing their livelihood on your API, which means when you break uh, something on, on their end because you changed their, uh, your API, you're taking time away from them building new features and earning money, which means instead of making money to feed their families and pay their rent, they're trying to fix the things you broke. Um, and so we need to take that very seriously. And that's why we look at like spectrum development. And spectrum development uh, isn't waterfall methodology, but what it does is it splits the agile development into two cycles. It says we're going to uh, agilely create the user experience or the spec, and then we'll agilely write the code. But you're not changing the spec as you code. Uh, you know, you're kind of stuck in one box or the other to ensure that contract is withheld and, and stays consistent. So, yeah, I mean, if you're constantly changing uh, the code in the contract with Agile, you're absolutely doing it wrong. Uh, and you're actually setting yourself up to fail because you're going to have a whole bunch of uh, things that were thought out very well for the short term that were not designed for the long term and will not make your API uh, extensible, uh, which is why we see APIs version. And I have to throw us out here. Because uh, you, you caught me on my favorite topic, so you got me on a, a tangent here. Um, we create APIs with the idea that we'll just version them. You know, so version one, then we'll, we'll make a better version two. We treat APIs like desktop software. Uh, I worked at a company where we had version one, version two, version three. Went to version ten just because it sounded better. Uh, you, you can't do that with APIs. A good API is one that you don't have to version. And the problem with versioning is it's expensive. It's not just expensive for your end users who have to spend time upgrading. It's expensive for you because now you have two different APIs that you have to maintain because you're going to have bug patches, security patches. You have to keep those fixed. You're going to confuse your users because there's going to be features in version 1 that aren't in version 2 or vice versa, and they're not going to know the difference. Um, in fact, when I worked at Constant Contact as a developer evangelist, uh, my job was to help people go from our version 1 to version 2 API. And I think in the year that I was there, I got four people to switch from V1 to V2 because there's... They, they don't want to do it. Uh, I can't tell you the number of calls that I got where I get a call and they say, look, I'm struggling with your API. I'd be like, okay, what, what version of our API are you using? Uh, well, your version. <laughs> okay, well, uh, is it one or two? I was like, well, I, I don't know. It's just yours. <laughs> okay, well, are you using XML or JSON? Well, I do a post response and I get data back. <laughs> and, and I kid you, and maybe this is why I suck at tech support, but it took me 15 to 20 minutes to figure out which type of API or which version of API this guy was using. You know, so you start having these battles. It just, it, it's so expensive. And it's so hard. And essentially what happens is 
you know, six months out, you send out an email saying we're discontinuing version one. Three months out, you say an email saying we're discontinuing version one. You know, a month out, same thing. Two weeks out, one week out, three days before, two days before, and uh, discontinue version one. And you get 50,000 emails going, what happened to version one? And everybody's pissed off at you. And you're like, we told you, but uh, as developers, if it's working, we don't want to have to change it. We want to create things and build new things, not fix things that you broke. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I, I mean, more than anything, that's really what I got. I got from your book is the whole drive, the whole philosophy of driving everything uh, from the spec to get it right earlier rather than later through all these versions. And I really like that that idea. Um, can you tell people kind of where they can find your book, uh, Undisturbed Rest, a guide to a guide to designing the perfect API? Um, it is a free download. We should mention that, right? And mm-hmm. and it's about what two hundred pages or so. It's not, you know, yep. uh, too long to read. Where can they get Absolutely. it? Absolutely. So I have to throw something right before I say that. It's my my quick sales pitch. Um, when I first heard Ram, I was actually interviewing at MuleSoft, and MuleSoft is one of the companies that supports the spec. Uh, Randall's not MuleSoft, but MuleSoft's in the working group. And our CTO, uh, when I was in the interview, was telling me about the spec RAML, and he's like, hey, you should check this out. And, and you know, every tech company you go to, especially in San Francisco or Silicon Valley, has this amazing, wonderful thing that they back that is going to change the world, and it's, you know, it's basically made of pure gold. And so, you know, it's an interview, so I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll check it out, whatever. And, and I went home, and, and I looked at it. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a monumental waste of my time. Because, again, everybody says they have this amazing thing. My horrible confession is, after checking out RAML, a week later, I ended up writing a blog post about how great RAML was. So much so that I include a One Direction song professing my love to it. <laughs> now, I've never had a blog post go viral until that one. So I got calls from people missing going, what, you like One Direction? Now, you know, don't judge. Um, but yeah, so, so the book, uh, I guess so just, I mean, check out Ramble. It's, it's definitely a great spec. But for the book, uh, the book is called Undisturbed Rest. You can download it free at mulesoft.com slash restbook. Uh, MuleSoft has sponsored the download so you can get the full, uh, ebook version, which is 196 pages. Uh, this is not a use MuleSoft. This is not a, you know, here's a vendor book. This is a book that's really designed to say, here are some best practices and here are things to watch out for when designing your API to make sure that it's going to be long-lived, it's going to meet your needs, and it's going to be easy to use. Um, so, again, the URL is mulesoft.com slash restbook, uh, although if you're feeling very generous, you can also buy it on amazon.com as well. Oh, okay. Oh, so you can buy hard – you can actually buy the physical book, not mm-hmm. just a yep, – so- ah, okay. Actually, uh, I might just do that because I have a bunch of you know pages – uh, bound with a butterfly clip, and <laughs> anyway, uh, Tom, Tom, you you had me on your podcast. I'll tell you what, I'll send you one. How about okay. that? That's great. Um, no, it's 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 awesome to hear your passion for for Ramel and the whole spec driven uh, philosophy. It definitely comes through in the book, and uh, you know, it's it's pretty. I thought your book was well organized and written. I mean, it did a good job, even a. I'm not a developer, but I was able to follow everything you're saying and and uh, understand it and see the value of it. So, I mean, this is one of those those topics that I'm trying to promote uh, within the tech com world, where technical writers can can find um, new ground and new a new world to to really excel in. So, thank you so much for 
coming on this podcast and, and sharing your thoughts. Is there any topic that we didn't cover that you wanted to cover? Uh, not that I can think of. And, and thank you for having me on the podcast. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I think that there is too much of a divide between developers and technical writers sometimes. And, and I'm really excited to see how, you know, Spectrum and how these specs can change. Not just that, but the way we look at APIs uh, in general, especially as we you know, evolve in the whole IT, uh, IoT world and platform as a service world. Um, but yeah, and, and by the way, thank you for saying that, that you like the book is easy to read because the best part about writing a book is sending it to a copy editor uh, who sends it back with a note saying, this is proof that you can't write. <laughs> wow. Well, no, I mean... I- I thought um, you know you, you went into just the right amount of depth for a lot of a lot of the sections, and then the other sections you went into more depth, and you didn't get too lost in the in the technical part, and you stayed at the conceptual level and, and promoted the the philosophy behind doing things a certain way. So, what what uh, what website can people go to to find more out about you? Uh, so the best website to find out more about me is uh, just mikesto dot com. Um, it's spelled just like it sounds. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the best answer I got for okay. that one. No, I have nothing fancy. That's great. That's great. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So. Actually, actually yeah. wait, wait. I actually do have another URL. You can also go to .api.ninja. .api.ninja? .api.ninja. .api.ninja. What is that site? Yes. Uh, that's actually the same site, just with a much cooler URL. Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't. I think I've vaguely heard that you could get the Ninja uh, domain like that, but but I have not seen one yet. <laughs> I, you know, some, some days you just shouldn't drink and buy domains. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, that's cool. Okay, well, Michael, thanks again for coming on the show, and uh, uh, appreciate all your, your um, insight. No, and thank you, Tom. This was an absolute pleasure.